In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. First of all, I'd like to welcome all of you to this meditation. This is the first of two meditations that we'll do today on Good Friday. And the theme of the meditations will be the seven last words from the cross. Maybe you've heard of that before. Maybe you haven't, but it's a good question. What are these seven last words? Well, there are seven sayings that we see in the Bible that Jesus speaks during his crucifixion, while he's on the cross, while he's dying, while he's suffering. And these are phrases that have been a theme, obviously, for prayer and a theme for meditation since the time of our Lord, right, since, since this happened, people have been thinking about and praying about and drawing fruit from the things our Lord said in that moment on the cross. And our Lord speaks when he speaks on the cross, when he, anytime he speaks in the gospel, our Lord speaks to, to the immediate audience, to those who are present there, his disciples, at times his enemies, at times these large crowds. But our Lord also speaks in a special way to all of his disciples of all time. Your words, O Lord, are spirit and life, the Bible says. Your words, O Lord, are spirit and life. And so while our Lord is doing um, what he came to do, right, while he's redeeming us, while he's suffering in this way, the words that he speaks to us take on a special meaning, a special resonance. That he speaks these last seven words, not just to the people who are witnesses to the crucifixion, but he speaks them to you and to me. And so let's start with, that, with the first word, or the first phrase that Jesus speaks from the cross. The first of the seven words. And the first phrase, the first word, is an incredible word of forgiveness. We find this phrase in St. Luke's account of the Passion. In the 23rd chapter of St. Luke, Luke writes, When they came to that place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. This is the word of forgiveness. The first of the last words from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. It's incredible, isn't it? It's incredible that Jesus prays for forgiveness for those who are offending him. More than that, for those who are causing him so much pain, so much suffering, for those who are killing him. And killing him in this cruel way, crucifying him. He asks for forgiveness for them. 
And this implies the fact that Jesus asked the Father to forgive them. This implies that Jesus himself forgives them. That he himself made the same excuse that he asked the Father to make. He found an excuse for them. He says, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know who I am. So forgive them for what they're doing. This first word tells us so much about our Lord. What a pure love Jesus has for humanity. What a pure love, a selfless love. Right? He forgives those who are killing him, right? Not years after the fact, right? After like time heals all wounds kind of thing, and he kind of can forget about what they did to him, so he forgives them. He doesn't forgive them after they beg for his mercy or tell him how sorry they are. He forgives them while they're killing him, while they're hurting him. And so this shows us like how unstoppable, how unstoppable God's mercy is. His mercy is like undefeated. It's kind of like in this area where I'm, where I'm praying and living these days, I'm in, I'm in the outskirts of Boston. So it's kind of like the New England Patriots used to be. The, the New England Patriots used to be just about unstoppable. They win the division every year. They go to the AFC Championship every year. They almost go to the Super Bowl every year. They win the Super Bowl many times. Almost unstoppable. Well, the mercy of God is unstoppable, right? No sin can stop it. Not even the worst sin that there is, which is this one, that they, that they put God on a cross and kill him. He still loves them. He still wants them to be forgiven. How selfless our Lord is. And think about it, right? That here he is dying in this terrible way. Here he is in great pain, Suffering tremendously, right? There's the pain of the scourging that's still with him, of course. There's the pain of his falls on the way of the cross. On the way of the cross, there's the pain of, of having that heavy cross on his shoulder for so long, carrying the cross. There's the pain, of course, the obvious, more recent pain of his hands and his feet that have been nailed to the cross. There's the pain now of his weight hanging down on those nails. There's the pain of each breath he takes which is more and more labored and asphyxiating. Our Lord is in tremendous pain on the cross, tremendous suffering. And, and the question is, you know, given that pain and suffering, what's on his mind? What's he thinking about? What's he concerned about? What's he praying for? Not just other people, He's not like praying for his best friends only, his apostles. We're praying for his mother, right? Who's there? We're praying for the John the Apostle, the beloved apostle who he loves so much. That would be amazing, right? That would be amazing that, that you could think of anyone else through the pain, offer the pain for anyone else. But he's doing it 
for the people who are hurting him, for the people who are killing him. I don't know about you, but when I get a little bit sick or when I'm in pain, right, my awareness and my attention gets pretty self-centered pretty quickly. It kind of telescopes in on myself. I think, oh, I'm exhausted. I need, I need to take care of myself. I need to rest more. And then I exaggerate, right? Oh, maybe I'm dying. Isn't this terrible? Oh, this must be the heart attack I've been waiting for. I knew it. Poor me. And this is a natural reaction, right? Pain, suffering, illness. Usually they cause us to kind of turn inward, right? To look inward, to take care of ourselves, to think about ourselves. To worry about ourselves more than we already do. And in that way, they make charity more difficult. They make thinking about others more difficult. And look how good Jesus is. Jesus, look how good you are. You're in this tremendous pain. You're going through this tremendous suffering. You're about to die. And he's thinking about others. He's praying for others. And not just that, but his enemies, those who don't love him, those who want to hurt him. Our Lord here, of course, is giving a great example. He's practicing what he preaches. He's practicing what he preached. In the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord said, But I say to you that, listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. But love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. We had a great ideal, a great high ideal that Jesus says, my followers should love everybody, everybody without exception. Everybody without exception. Those people you don't like, those people who hurt you, those people who neglect you, you need to want what's good for them. You need to love them anyway. You need to forgive them. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. In this first word, our Lord on the cross is giving his merciful Father a reason to forgive. A reason to exercise his great mercy, his love towards towards these men. Lord, I ask you in my prayer, How do I respond to others when they mistreat me? How do I respond to others, Lord, when they neglect me? Am I quick to forgive them? Like you, Lord, do I make excuses for them? Do I pray for them, Lord, like you do from the cross? Do I try not to take slights or insults personally? Whenever I can find an excuse for someone, do I do it? Lord, help me to be someone who assumes the best about people, not the worst. This makes forgiveness easier. The more compassion we have for people, the more understanding we have for people, 
the easier, it is, the easier it is to forgive and the harder it is to take offense, to be hurt by others. St. Josemaria, the founder of Opus Dei, St. Josemaria said something very, very deep in this regard in one of his um, points, and I can't remember which book. Um, it's either in The Way, The Forge, or The Furrow, the three books that he wrote with little points uh, to help people pray. And one of them he writes, Charity consists not so much in giving as in understanding. Charity consists not so much in giving as in understanding. Right? If we understand someone, if we make an effort to see where they're coming from, if we make an effort to see their point of view, if we put ourselves in their shoes, perhaps that is loving them more than just trying to give them good things or trying to teach them something or trying to change them in some way. First to understand them. This is what our Lord does and teaches us to do with the first word from the cross. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. I have a good friend who's a, who's a very good professor. He's a professor of public health and he's a brilliant uh, statistician. He specializes in the study of what he calls human flourishing or, or general well-being. And one of the studies he's done is very interesting. It's about the impact of forgiveness. The impact of forgiveness techniques and therapies, especially on people who have been hurt by others in, in a significant way. People who have been emotionally, physically, or psychologically abused by others. And the study he did shows that um, if, they, if they go through what's like a, a forgiveness therapy, if they learn techniques of forgiveness, how to forgive, that um, they improve in all sorts of ways. This is from his, uh, his paper on it. He writes, Both observational studies using longitudinal analyses and randomized trials of forgiveness interventions provide evidence for a causal link with health. Observational studies suggest that forgiveness is associated with lower levels of depression, anxiety, and hostility, reduced nicotine dependence and substance abuse, higher positive emotion, higher satisfaction with life, higher social support, and fewer self-reported health symptoms. Right? And so if someone hurts you, the best thing you can do for yourself, let alone for them, the best thing you can do for yourself is to learn how to forgive them. Talk to someone um, who can teach you how to forgive. And the heart of, at the heart of forgiveness is not feelings. It's not feeling like nothing ever happened. It's not feeling happy about seeing that person or being with that person. It's not even necessarily reconciling with the person because sometimes that's impossible because the person is dangerous or, or hasn't changed. And so the heart of forgiveness, what we can always do is to forego vengeance, right? to give up our bad will towards that person, to not give in to uh, a spirit of vengeance or wanting what's bad for the person. And the shortcut to that is to do what Jesus does on the cross, pray for them. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, he says. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Find excuses. Pray for them. We move to the second word of our Lord. The second word of our Lord on the cross is a word of salvation. Our Lord says this word, this phrase, 
in his conversation with the good thief on the cross. Again, we find this in the Gospel of Luke. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is a word of salvation. Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. In this phrase, Lord, we see how responsive you are to the prayers of those who really need you, who reach out to you. We see how sensitive our Lord is to anyone who calls out to him for help. Anyone who calls out to him, especially for salvation. This so-called good thief is humble, right? He knows that he's a sinner. He says to the other one, he says to the other one, we've been condemned justly. We're getting what we deserve. This man has done nothing wrong. And so this man has an awareness of his situation. He has an awareness of his guilt. He has an, an awareness of his sinfulness. And what does he do with it? Well, he does the right thing where he, he, he appeals to the Savior. He appeals to Jesus. Jesus, help me. I know I'm a sinner, but remember me. Save me. And the good thief is not bad, all bad, of course. That's why he's called the good thief. <laughs> right? There's some good in every sinner. And we can see this goodness in the good thief, first of all, in his ability to recognize that Jesus is special, that Jesus can help him. He recognizes Jesus' innocence. He says, this man has done nothing wrong, not like us. This man has done nothing wrong. And that's important for us, too. We need to keep recognizing in our life the goodness of Jesus. Only in Jesus will we find God. Only in Jesus will we be happy. Only in Jesus and with Jesus will we go to heaven. St. Peter says this so clearly in the Acts of the Apostles. He says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. And so the good thief recognizes this, that Jesus can help him, that Jesus can save him, that Jesus is good. And we need to do the same thing as the good thief. We need to, on the one hand, we need to recognize our sinfulness. Right, Jesus is on the cross because of sin. This is what sin does to God. This is what sin does to man. It puts him on the cross. That's how bad sin is. But the cross also shows us how much God loves us. Right? This, is, this is how much we're worth to him. This is who saves us, and this is how he saves us. And so the good thief has a real conversion. Right? He recognizes his own sinfulness, and he recognizes that Jesus can help him with it, that Jesus can save him from it. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And once again, we see a great generosity of our Lord on the cross, a great generosity. He's not so wrapped up 
in his own pain, in his own suffering, that he doesn't hear the request of the good thief. He's not so wrapped up in his own world. He's not so wrapped up in himself that he can't respond to this call for help. He hears it and he responds to it in spite of everything he's going through. And he says, this day you will be with me in paradise. And this exchange, our Lord's response especially, Lord, it teaches us not to ever be afraid of you, Lord, not to ever be afraid of approaching you for mercy, for forgiveness. No matter how bad we've been, no matter how long it's been since we've practiced our faith, no matter how long it's been since we've been to confession, no matter how many sins we have under our belt, no matter how many bad habits we have right now that, that we're not giving up, we can always go to him. We can always go to him and ask for forgiveness. We can always go to him and ask for mercy. We can always go back to confession. We see Jesus, you know, the generosity that he has. He doesn't say to the, to the good thief, well, you're going to have to spend a lot of time in purgatory. You know, you've been very bad. You're on a cross for a reason. He doesn't say to him, well, um, are, you, are you sure you're really sorry? I mean, it seems like you're just a little bit afraid of going to hell. You know, are you sure that you want me to save you? He doesn't put him through some kind of test. He sees his sorrow. And he sees his hope in him. And he reacts just like that. So we too, on this Good Friday, we go to Jesus on the cross and we say, Lord, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. And as soon as I can, I'll make a good confession, Lord. I'll come back to you. I'll come back to practice my faith better. The third phrase, and this is the last one we'll cover in this first meditation. We'll leave four for the next meditation later on this afternoon. The third phrase is, woman, Behold your son. And speaking to St. John, behold your mother. We find this in St. John's Gospel. He was a witness where he heard these words from our Lord's own lips, addressed to Mary and addressed to him. St. John writes, When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the, to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. This is the third word, the third phrase. And it's a, it's a beautiful word. It's a motherly word. Behold your son. Behold your mother. So what is Jesus telling Mary? What is Jesus telling Mary? He's telling Mary to look at John just as she looks at him. He's her only son. But now he's saying, behold your son, I'm in him. When you see him from now on, see me. And he says the same to John, behold your mother. When you see her, see your mother. She's your mother now. Behold your mother. And the church has always understood right from the beginning that our Lord Um, when he says to St. John, behold your mother, and when he says to Mary, behold your son, our Lord includes us there, right? St. John is kind of like representing all Christians. So that he says to Mary about us, behold your son, behold your daughter, behold all your children, all my followers, 
are now your children. And he says to us, with respect to Our Lady, behold your mother, she's yours now. On the cross, Jesus gives Mary as a mother, not just to John, but to each one of us. And he gives us to her as her children. Again, Lord, we're struck in this, in this word, in this third word from the cross, by your generosity, by your great generosity. Our Lord is so generous. He gives us so much. He gives his life for us on the cross. He gives up his life for us. Greater love than this has no man that a man laid down his life for his friends. Our Lord gives us his forgiveness. Go and sin no more. Our Lord gives us his grace, his help to be good. Our Lord gives us his Father to be our Father. He says, when you pray, say, our Father. And on top of all that, again, in this most trying moment, in this most excruciating moment, our Lord gives us his Mother. And this last gift has always struck me as something super generous, super generous, perhaps even a bit too much. Right? Your mother being your mother, I think, is something very personal. Your mother is your mother. And growing up, I remember my mother has always been and is a very affectionate woman, a very caring woman. And I was one of six children. And um, friends would come over. We, we had friends. And, uh, and they liked to come over our house. And part of the reason, I think, was because my mother was, was so good and so good to them, so kind. And I remember one of my sister's friends used to come over a lot. This guy named Tony. And uh, we're actually friends on Facebook now. And he started calling my mother mom. He'd say, hey, mom, this, hey, mom, that. And I remember not liking that. <laughs> it was like, you know, she's not your mother, man. I mean, you know, you're welcome here and everything. But, you know, you have your own mother. Right? Just, you know, she's my mother. She's not your mother. How generous Jesus is. Right? He points at us. He points at you. He points at me. And he says to his mother, when you see them, see me. Behold your son, behold your daughter. And he points to us and he says, behold your mother. When you see our lady, see your mother. She's your mother. So we go to her, our lady at the foot of the cross. Help us to hear these words of your son on the cross and help us to make them our own. Help us hear the help us hear Jesus speak them to us. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I tell you, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Our Lord wants us to go to heaven. And then, behold your mother. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.